Good afternoon, and thanks for joining us for Managing to Make a Difference. My name is Kyle Bruce, and I'll be your moderator for today's show. I'm joined by authors Larry Sternberg and Kim Turnage, our experts on management techniques, the research behind them, and why effectively implementing them can make a difference. Today's show is going to focus on Chapter 23 of Larry and Kim's book, Managing to Make a Difference, and we're going to be taking, excuse me, we're going to be talking about micromanagement today. Yes, micromanagement. Isn't that exciting? Uh, the actual chapter is called uh, Resist the Temptation to Seize Control. So, Larry and Kim, you know, I... You know, I've interviewed thousands of people, you know, as a recruiter, and I, I have to tell you, not a single person, not one, has ever said, I want to be micromanaged. You know, I, I, I love being told what to do and asking permission for every single business decision I make. At, you know, nada, zero, not a single person yet has said, I want to be micromanaged. And none of them say, I like a manager who micromanages on a regular basis. So how can there be such a disconnect in the workplace between what people want and what managers are actually doing? Well, I'll start, uh, Kim. The, the disconnect, as you have labeled it, occurs because managers find that they are accountable to produce certain results and to achieve certain outcomes. And when certain people are burdened with that kind of accountability, they all of a sudden can become control freaks and they want to make sure they're controlling every single aspect of what goes on. And for them, that accompanies the accountability with which they've been burdened. And you see this a lot. And of course, you know, micromanagement is not an either or concept. It's not you either are being micromanaged or you're not being micromanaged. Right, sure. I mean, I. how old is your oldest son? Seven. Kyle, so Kyle's oldest son is seven. I am sure that there are times when you know it's in his self-interest for you to micromanage. Yeah, every morning going trying to get him dressed. Yeah. <laughs> But there are also times when when you know, hey, this is not a time for me to micromanage. I'm going to let him run and play or I'm going to let him choose what what the toy he's going to play or, or whatever it might be. And so micromanagement is not an either or proposition. It's always uh, it's always a matter of uh, degree. And and so uh, that's what all of our listeners need to focus on if you're a manager to what degree uh, does it feel good to people and is appropriate and 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 what's going to get you the best results overall just because you have accountability do not as it says uh, the title resist the temptation to seize control just because you're accountable doesn't mean that you should seize control of every tiny aspect Kim, what are you thinking about? Well, one of the things that comes up for me with Kyle's question, which I think is a great one, why do people do it? And I think one of the reasons they do it is because it's led to their success in the past. A lot of times people who are in management positions have been very effective individual performers, and part of their effectiveness has been taking control of circumstances to ensure the right results. As a manager, though, they have to do something different. And sometimes people don't make that shift or when certain things happen in the business or on their teams, they're tempted to shift back into that pattern of behaviors 
that in the past has gotten them success. Yes, I think that's a, that's a great remark. I, I just also think there's, there's, a, there's a degree of uh, lack of trust. If you do not trust the people who are reporting to you, and you might not trust them because, say, they're all brand new. They're all novices. They haven't done this before. You might micromanage to a larger degree than you would six months after they've had more experience doing what they're doing and you feel a little bit more comfortable letting them go. So I think there may be some insecurity and some lack of trust that is at times driving some of this micromanaging behavior. So Larry, you've, you have a story actually in this chapter about a, um, a hotel restaurant manager. Tell us a little more about that. It's from an example from a story standpoint. Yeah, actually I'm gonna tell you a different story. Okay, that works too. That's in the book. This is uh, this is a story about a food and beverage director who was really worried about theft out of the liquor storeroom. And so he had the only set of keys to that liquor storeroom. And that way he could control, he could micromanage what was coming in and going out of that storeroom. And I remember there was an evening he had gone home for the evening and there was a guest in the dining room and spending a lot of money and there was a, a good size celebration. He probably had 10, 12 people at his table. They were having a great celebration and he wanted to buy two bottles of Dom Perignon, which is a very, very expensive champagne. But nobody could get into the liquor storeroom to get the Dom Perignon and, and the food and beverage director lived a little bit too far away. So even if he had hopped in his car and sped back to the hotel, wouldn't have been able to get the champagne out in time to, to satisfy the guest. And because he uh, could not resist the, the, the temptation to take control and only him to have control of that liquor storeroom, uh, we lost a very large sale. That's several hundred dollars. Uh, which is, you know, and that's what that's what happens when you seize control and move along that continuum more toward the micromanagement end of that continuum. Uh, the cure is often worse than the disease. <laughs> and and that's the story. The story that's in the book is is about a restaurant manager who botched the the schedule for the employees who worked in the restaurant and just for our listeners to understand in uh, in a hotel uh, and in a restaurant labor is your number one controllable cost so getting the schedule right is very important if you schedule too many people you are wasting money if you schedule too few people the service suffers so you've got to get it right in that sweet spot where you have exactly the right number of people that you need to deliver excellent service and not one person more so that you're not wasting money and driving your labor costs uh, beyond, where they, beyond where they ought to be. So in any event, on this particular occasion, the schedules were done uh, every two weeks for the employees and this particular restaurant manager uh, screwed it up. And the food and beverage director became very upset and he couldn't resist the temptation to seize control because this went wrong once and service was terrible. 
and they got lost of guest complaints. And the food and beverage director wanted to make sure that that didn't happen again because of uh, mistaken scheduling. So he said from now on, the restaurant manager has to run the schedule by me. I have to check it and I have to approve it. And he said not only that department, but all the departments who reported up to him all of a sudden had to run the schedule by him. So he just gave himself a huge amount of work uh, every two weeks while these people were doing their schedules. He was actually redoing the schedules uh, or, or reviewing them very closely to make sure they were right. And, and by the way, that didn't really prevent mistakes because mistakes are going to be made. We're all human beings. And so seizing control is tempting in some cases, but A, it doesn't prevent mistakes, and B, it has a a lot of uh, negative consequences uh, that are are costly in a variety of ways, both, both ways that translate easily into money and ways that translate into poor morale. And let me just add this one, uh, one remark. It's always amused me that um, people at any level seem to believe that the level of incompetence in the organization starts just below where they are. So (laughs) if I'm a vice president, the level of incompetence starts at the department heads, those people below me. If I'm a department head, it starts at the level of supervisors, (laughs) et cetera. So we gotta watch those people. And that creates uh, that that temptation to seize control. But there are some costs. Kim, you wanna start talking about some of the costs? The costs are substantial, and they they get spread around pretty widely. Uh, One of the costs is, as you mentioned, you know, you're going to take on a lot more work than you have to as the manager. You're going to have to be spending more time doing things that are closer to the front line. And that in itself has some costs because the reality is that from where you're sitting, you might not have all the information you need to make the best decisions. And the people who are closer to that decision, you know, that department manager making that schedule is the one who knows more of the right information to get the schedule right the first time anyway. So you're just compounding the things you need to know, the things you need to have in your head, and the opportunities for you to make a mistake when you do that. That's one kind of cost. The other kind of cost that really concerns me is because when we talk about managing to make a difference, we're talking about managing people in a way that makes a difference for them, that changes their lives, makes them better people, helps them be more of who they are, helps them grow and reach their goals. You're making a huge sacrifice on their behalf when you decide to micromanage because you're not allowing them to have those opportunities for growth and for achievement and for taking on more. And those opportunities for growth are going to involve people making some mistakes. You, no human being is going to grow if they are overprotected to a point where they can't make a mistake. So uh, I, yeah, I couldn't agree more with you, Kim. You're, you're, you're not making a big difference in someone's life if you are not giving them enough elbow room 
for, because the opportunity to make a mistake is also the opportunity to successfully get it right. Reminds me a lot of, you know, the way a lot of people talk about helicopter parents. You know, they micromanage or, or what I've heard called lawnmower parents. They just mow everything, mow all the obstacles down in front of their kids. And so then in many cases, you know, based on what you're saying, is they're sacrificing the growth of their children because they're not letting them make mistakes or, or learn and grow from some of those mistakes. Fascinating stuff. Well, we're going to go into a break here. We're going to come back after the break and talk more about uh, resisting the temptation to seize control. And, you know, we often do get great feedback from our listeners. Uh, so if you have any questions or feedback you'd like to provide to us, just go ahead and click on on an email host button uh, just above the podcast description. We'll work some of those into the topics uh, for our upcoming podcasts and get those answers back for you as soon as possible. So join us after the break. We'll hear more from Larry and from Kim about micromanagement and the proper way to do it. Wait, I'm sorry, resisting the temptation <laughs> to micromanage. We'll be back in just a few moments. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Asked to manage your teams but wonder when or how? Join Talent Plus on-site with us or at your corporate office for a seminar built just for you. Leadership Toolbox focuses on individual engagement, talent and fit, team dynamics and growth, and creating a strength-based culture. This interactive, seminar-style format is just the set of tools you need for world-class team performance starting now. Reserve your spot today at talentplus.com. When managers make a significant impact, their teams are engaged, motivated, and excited. They love what they do. When those people work for you, you get results. Results matter, and people drive results. At Talent Plus, we've assessed millions of people over decades using our rigorous science to predict successful on-the-job performance and cultural fit with an organization's mission, vision, and values. Our online assessments and person-to-person interviews not only identify talents, but uncover a roadmap for success from a person's first day on the job to the day they retire. When people celebrate their talents, use them daily, and think about how to lead with their strengths, they help their companies grow, produce, and innovate. Want to learn more about empowering your people to help you do great things? Visit us today at talentplus.com. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. Well, welcome back, folks, and thanks for joining us for Managing to Make a Difference this afternoon. We've been talking to Larry and Kim today about micromanagement, 
and how when uh, and when it comes to managing to make a difference, you need to resist the temptation to seize control. This topic comes from Chapter 23 of Larry and Kim's book, Managing to Make a Difference. And just to recap our first segment, we're really talking about the costs of micromanagement. You know how it uh, how people suffer their own you know, potential growth uh, from that and how decreases engagement. And uh, Kim wants to come back with with a question. So I'm just going to turn right over to Kim. Well, the thing I wanted to talk about is what, what's the alternative? You know, it's a, it's a serious problem when somebody makes a mistake. One of your choices is to seize control and start micromanaging everything around that so that that mistake doesn't happen again. But the question is, what are your other choices? So what do you guys want to talk about? Well, another choice is to do a little root cause analysis and understand why the person made the mistake and address it at that level. So you're doing some coaching, you're doing some teaching, you're, you're improving that person's level of competence on, in this case, we're talking about scheduling, let's just say, you, you're making them better at doing a schedule so that the likelihood of a mistake is reduced going forward. That's, that's the most obvious way to address that. Uh, but what you don't want to do is get punitive with somebody. They're trying their best. They made a mistake. And, and if you get punitive, then they freeze and they're going to invite the micromanagement because then they're not going to want to do anything until you've pre-approved it and they're going to start running everything by you. So if you get punitive just because people make mistakes, the, the, the punishment uh, or criticism or whatever form it might take doesn't increase their capacity. It doesn't improve their competence so that they're less likely to make the mistake in the future, and and uh, I uh, I always joke with my wife. We I, I like to go to movies, and oftentimes in a movie there's there's this evil, very senior gangster, and everybody is afraid of him, and he sends his henchmen out to do some mission, and they they botch it, and they come back, and they say, hey, boss, we well, I didn't fail, and they're making excuses, and he takes out his gun and he shoots one of them. I mean, who would work for this guy? Even in the underworld, this is going to get around. Who would work for this guy? And believe it or not, this business of punishing people for mistakes does happen in the real world. And years ago, in the luxury hotel business in New York City, there there's a hotel called the Helmsley Hotel. And I it might still be there. I don't know. But the the person who wound up owning this hotel was a woman named Leona Helmsley. And her husband was a big real estate developer and very, very much the equivalent of Donald Trump and in his own in his own time. And he passed away and she she became the owner of the hotel Uh, and she would fire people over burnt toast. I mean, it was amazing. And it got around in the industry that if you were working for Leona Helmsley, if you were in management and you were working in that hotel, you were desperate because your your half-life was going to be very short because sooner or later you're a human being you're going to do something wrong and if you happen to do it at the wrong time when she is uh, aware of it you're very likely to get fired and i have a couple of friends who work for her and they kind of bragged about uh, how long they were able to last um, (laughs) before before they got 
fired. So it's funny about the evil gangsters, but uh, these things happen in the real world. And that's what encourages people to seek approval for everything and put the the manager uh, in, in, in the seat of being a micromanager. And as Kim said, increasing their burden uh, immensely for all the things they now have to pay attention to and all the decisions they they now have to make because they are not willing to uh, trust people and they're not willing to tolerate the reality that people are going to make mistakes, honest mistakes while they're trying to do their best. And those should never be reasons to seize control. Didn't I read, or maybe I'm misremembering this, but didn't she leave the hotel to her dog or something as well? I wonder uh, how much of a micromanager he uh, yeah, I don't. I don't know whether she did that. <laughs> well, I'll, you know, we, we've been talking about talent and talented people in, in some other chapters in the book. How do really talented high performers respond to, you know, this micromanagement concept and, you know, resisting to, to seize control? Go ahead, Kim. Well, you started off with exactly how they respond to it at the top of the broadcast, Kyle, when you said, I've never interviewed anybody who, when I ask them what kind of person do they like to work for, they say, I like to work for a micromanager. The more talented somebody is, the less they want that kind of control and oversight in their work. They want to be trusted. Um, They want people to look at them and say, that's a top performer, and they do what they do, and they do it best. And that's what they are looking for. So when you do seize control, when you do choose to micromanage, you are doing the greatest damage to the most talented, best performers on your team. What are the, what are the advantages? I'm sure that all our listeners conceptually understand, at least conceptually, whether they can do it or not, that going too far on that continuum of micromanagement is not good for the business, it's not good for your employees, it's not good for you. How do we get people who are hesitant, who are apprehensive to, to give up that, that control How do we get them to do that, Kim? That's a good question. I I think that trust is a significant factor there. And we've, we've talked about trust previously just today, but we talk about it a lot. And I think that's key. So it's build a strong relationship with the people that you manage. Know them well. Know them well enough to know what you can really trust them to do and invest in building them in, in areas so that that trust can grow. I also think if you are a listener who's really inclined toward micromanagement, as Kim mentioned earlier in the broadcast, sometimes it's because you just got promoted into your first supervisory or management position and you're used to having control of everything that is related to your job performance. Uh, if, if you're in this category where you, you, you just are afraid, I want you to understand that just because someone makes a mistake, your business does not sink into the ground. It is not life-threatening for your business 
when people make mistakes because they're making them now. Even in a regime where there's a lot of micromanagement, people are making mistakes all the time. So micromanagement doesn't prevent mistakes. And lack of micromanagement, you just just take a deep breath and understand, okay, some people are gonna make some mistakes. I knew, I had a friend who was, uh, is a serious uh, perfectionist. I mean, the best is barely good enough uh, for this gentleman. And he became the president of one of the most prestigious hotels in the world. And I, I visited him a couple of years into his tenure. I happened to be, this was the hotels in New York City. I happened to be in New York and uh, went over and I had lunch with him. And uh, he, he was telling me that he realized that this hotel had a personality and that if he wanted to maintain the personality of the hotel, that he had to tolerate some lack of perfection. And it was a major uh, step of growth for him because previous to that, he wouldn't have tolerated. He, he wasn't a micromanager though. Uh, going in there and controlling every little thing is, is, is going to absolutely destroy the morale of anybody who has talent and you don't give them elbow room to make some decisions and own the outcome. And you own it because you've made every little decision. Uh, people have a lot of talent are just not going to stay there. They're, they're, they, they have to express their talent and they'll find a place where they can express it. So one thing our, our, our micromanagement inclined listeners can do is, is just get comfortable with the fact that mistakes are going to be made. And as Kim said, at some point in time, you have to trust your people. And if they don't have the experience and the knowledge, then start teaching them. Give them the knowledge they need in order to make the right decisions and take the right actions in these times. And when they've made a mistake, instead of criticizing and, and punishing in some way, coach. Just say, look, let's talk about what you could have done differently. And the next time it comes up, do it differently. Yeah, decide ahead of time that that's the decision you're going to make. Decide yeah. ahead of time that you're not going to seize control. You're not going to micromanage. What you're going to do instead is to coach that person and build the relationship with them so that it's stronger, so that you have greater trust in them moving forward. So I, you know, we're going to go into a break here in just about a minute or so, but I want to play a little bit of devil's advocate here with you guys. That means we're God's advocate. The, the, go ahead. Right, yes. <laughs> it's you know you're saying it's almost never you know it's almost never true that micromanaging is going to improve things, but I have to believe there's some instances where it will, and I like to talk about that after we come back from the break. When is it good to micromanage, um, and when does it work, and why? Just again to kind of get the uh, the counterpoint to that. So come back and listen after the break, and we'll talk a little more about that. But before we go, have you bought your books yet? Uh, they're available in bulk order, so if you want to get more than six uh, books, you can go to uh, www.800ceoread.com uh, to get bulk order books. You get a 20% discount. It's a great way to order them for your whole team, uh, maybe for all your new associates that might be starting. Um, so I highly recommend that. And also, we have a microsite for additional uh, materials. 
tutorials, if you're looking for some tips, some tricks, and some tools, go to www.managetomakeadifference.com again, managetomakeadifference.com to pick up some of those tools uh, from us and from the book Managing to Make a Difference. So with that, we'll leave you and we come back and we'll talk about when micromanagement actually does work. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. When managers make a significant impact, their teams are engaged, motivated, and excited. They love what they do. When those people work for you, you get results. Results matter, and people drive results. At Talent Plus, we've assessed millions of people over decades using our rigorous science to predict successful on-the-job performance and cultural fit with an organization's mission, vision, and values. Our online assessments and person-to-person interviews not only identify talents, but uncover a roadmap for success from a person's first day on the job to the day they retire. When people celebrate their talents, use them daily, and think about how to lead with their strengths, they help their companies grow, produce, and innovate. Want to learn more about empowering your people to help you do great things? Visit us today at talentplus.com. Asked to manage your teams but wonder when or how? Join Talent Plus on-site with us or at your corporate office for a seminar built just for you. Leadership Toolbox focuses on individual engagement, talent and fit, team dynamics and growth, and creating a strength-based culture. This interactive, seminar-style format is just the set of tools you need for world-class team performance starting now. Reserve your spot today at talentplus.com. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Welcome back to Managing to Make a Difference with Larry Sternberg and Kim Turnage. 
If you happen to be just joining us today, we have been talking about micromanagement and um, how when it comes to managing to, uh, to make a difference, you need to resist the temptation to seize control. This topic comes from Chapter 23 of Larry and Kim's book, Managing to Make a Difference. And in our first two segments, we talked about the cost of micromanagement, how it decreases growth, de- decreases engagement, certainly increases the likelihood that your best people are going to go away or go somewhere else. Um, and we also talked about how you uh, how you get people to, to give up control a little bit, and it's really all about building relationships and ultimately trust. Um, but when we left the segment, I talked about when it is actually okay to micromanage and when it is actually a good idea when it works. Um, so I'm going to turn it over to Kim and to Larry to tell us, hey, you know, a little bit of devil's advocate, micromanagement, people are doing it, they're doing it for a reason. Well, when does it work and why? So I'll leave it to Larry and Kim. Go ahead. Go, Kim. Well, I think that there are times when it's, the best thing you can do as a manager or a leader is to step in and start micromanaging. And there's a really good example of that that's in the media right now. Um, there's some safety issues at Tesla. Um, and here's just an excerpt of an email that Elon Musk sent out to his employees. He starts off, no words can express how much I care about your safety and well-being. It breaks my heart when someone is injured building cars and trying their best to make Tesla successful. Going forward, I've asked that every injury be reported directly to me, without exception. I'm meeting with the safety team every week and would like to meet every injured person as soon as they are well so that I can understand from them exactly what we need to do to make it better. I will then go down to the production line and perform the same task that they perform. This is what all managers at Tesla should do as a matter of course. At Tesla, we lead from the front line, not from some safe and comfortable ivory tower. Managers must always put their team's safety above their own. That's the kind of micromanagement that makes sense because there's a significant problem in the business. It's systemic. My guess is that this isn't the first time it's been discussed in their organization, and it's gotten to a point where it's detrimental. And it's gotten to a point where it's going against his values because he cares about people and he doesn't want to see this happening in his company. So he's going to step in and he's going to micromanage. And that would be, for me, the one exception where that makes sense. For how long do you think? Is he going to do this for the rest of his life? And see, I think that's the key. This isn't going to be permanent. He's stepping in. He's going to take that position for a while. And he is. He's going to go down to the floor and do the job that that person does so he can see what it's all about. But my hope is that that's going to be temporary and that he's working with the other leaders and managers and supervisors and frontline employees on the concept that we're going to help each other be safer, but he's taking the lead. He's going to micromanage for a little while. He's going to kind of steer the ship so it's pointing in the right direction again, and then he should be able to release and let those people do their jobs. So the answer that's emerging to Kyle's question is, are are there times when it's a good idea to micromanage, and if so, what kinds of times are there? The answer that is emerging is, first of all, when somebody steps into micromanage and they're a, a great leader, it's almost certainly going to be temporary. They don't envision themselves continuing this indefinitely. And the second thing that's emerging is how important is it to get this right? 
what are the risks that if it isn't if it isn't done right, what are the risks to the business? And in that sense, how important is it to to get it right? And so when something it presents a serious risk to a business, and in this case to the employees, uh, or to a mission, uh, and it it uh, presents that serious risk for some period of time, the leader might want to step in. And I am reminded of uh, the story of um, a guy named uh, Shackleton, one of the great explorers uh, in in the history of of planet Earth. And on on one of his excursions. In in around 1912 or 1914, before there was uh, commercial radio, he set out in a tall ship to uh, explore Antarctica. So he took a tall ship to Antarctica, got stuck in the ice, it got crushed. They saved the lifeboats, they saved some stuff from the ship, but the main ship got crushed. And... they had no hope of rescue. There was no way to contact anyone, no radio. And they had to either make it back or die. And he led this group back. It took him two years. But the, the, the thing about temporary micromanagement that's coming up for me, and it's been years since I've, I've read the, the book that chronicles this incredible journey, which, by the way, he got all of his crew back alive and well. It took them two years to get back, but he got them all back alive and well. And at one point in the journey, uh, he left most of the crew and somebody had to take one of these lifeboats, which they had modified to some degree, uh, and sail across one of the most dangerous oceans on planet Earth to uh, some location uh, where they were then another leg that they had to uh, complete in in order to contact somebody to even get a rescue mission going. And only, uh, if I remember correctly, only two people could fit in this lifeboat. And the lives of everyone else depended on these two people getting there and coming back with a rescue team. And he decided that he was going to be one of those two people and micromanage the 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 journey because all these lives depended on it. And so he stepped in for that period of time as the micromanager because it was that important and he and he was accountable for it. So he needed to do it himself. Uh, but but you know when I'm thinking about Elon Musk stepping into do some job on a factory line, uh, he won't do it if it's a technical job and he has no idea how to technically do that job and, and he could get injured himself if he didn't do it right. We know he's smarter than that. Uh, but the, the same thing holds. You know, it's temporary and it depends on how important it is and whether the boss, who's going to take over and micromanage the situation, in fact, has the necessary level of skill and knowledge to ensure that this is going to be done right. So even though you're the hospital administrator and uh, there's a very, very delicate and important operation going on, if you're not a doctor, you're not going to step in and micromanage that operation. 
brain surgery? No problem. Let's yeah, go. Exactly. <laughs> Well, and if you are the expert, let's say you are the expert and you are the one who needs to sail that little boat over to get the rescue team to come back. Okay, let's do that once. This is a special circumstance, right? And it, it's it's the level of importance. It's the level of immediacy of the thing. But the reality is if you're going to get in that boat and do that every single time, you're not being the best leader you can be because you're not equipping and empowering other people to develop the level of expertise that you have so that they can do the job. So I'm thinking about um, some managers that are probably listening to the show and thinking, okay, you know, I've, I've caught myself micromanaging before. How do I, how do I keep myself from doing that in the future? So let's just say, Hey, Kim and Larry, I'm a recovering micromanager, right? And are there some some tips or some tricks uh, that you would give to me uh, that, that, that you've learned from your from others or from your own past? Um, and are there any like markers that I should be paying attention to keep me from slipping back into some bad habits? What what types of tips could somebody walk away with uh, from you guys? The best tip I can give you, and this is uh, for for people who are inclined to micromanagement. This could be like asking you to jump out of an airplane. The best tip I can give you is ask your direct reports, what decisions and actions are you fully confident to make today, right now, that I am micromanaging and that things would be much better for our customers, they'd be much better for you, and they'd be much better for me if I lightened up on that. And whatever they tell you, take the risk and get out of the business of micromanaging on those items that they brought up. Well, we're, we're going to go into a, a great, go ahead, Kim. I think that's a great tip. I've got another idea, but it sounds like we want to go to a break. So let's, well, let's we've got, it when we've we got a minute back. and a half left. So go, go for it. If you've got another tip. Well, it's just an add on to that in some ways it's, and it's to, you know, use your analytical powers and calculate the costs and benefits. You know, you are taking a risk to let that person take that thing on that they think they can do without you. Calculate the benefits of allowing them to do it if they succeed. Calculate the potential costs of allowing them to do it if they fail. And, you know, make a good decision. All right, well, we are going to go into a break here. So uh, we'll, we'll come right back to answering that question when we get back from the break. Um, so, you know, we want to hear more from our, our listeners, of course. So if you haven't sent in a, a, a note yet or sent in a comment or a question, please do that. All I have to do is hit that email host button in the podcast. We'd, we'd love to hear more from our, uh, from our listeners. Um, so we'll be back in just a few moments to hear more from Carrie, <laughs> I about said, uh, Carrie and Lim, uh, from Larry and from Kim, and more about managing to make a difference and tips on how to uh, uh, overcome your micromanagement. So we'll ta- I'll be back in just a few moments. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. When managers make a significant impact, their teams are engaged, motivated, and excited. They love what they do. When those people work for you, you get results. Results matter, and people drive results. 
At Talent Plus, we've assessed millions of people over decades using our rigorous science to predict successful on-the-job performance and cultural fit with an organization's mission, vision, and values. Our online assessments and person-to-person interviews not only identify talents, but uncover a roadmap for success from a person's first day on the job to the day they retire. When people celebrate their talents, use them daily, and think about how to lead with their strengths, they help their companies grow, produce, and innovate. Want to learn more about empowering your people to help you do great things? Visit us today at talentplus.com. Asked to manage your teams but wonder when or how? Join Talent Plus on-site with us or at your corporate office for a seminar built just for you. Leadership Toolbox focuses on individual engagement, talent and fit, team dynamics and growth, and creating a strength-based culture. This interactive, seminar-style format is just the set of tools you need for world-class team performance starting now. Reserve your spot today at talentplus.com. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Well, welcome back to Managing to Make a Difference with Larry Sternberg and Kim Turnage. We started today on the topic of micromanagement and how when it does come to managing to make a difference, you need to resist the temptation to seize control. This topic comes from Chapter 23 of Larry and Kim's book, Managing to Make a Difference. And really, we've been talking about the, the costs of, of uh, micromanagement, how it decreases growth and engagement, uh, and how if you do give up control a little bit, it's about you know to do that, you have to build relationships and trust people, and knowing that talented people just aren't going to stick around if you micromanage too much. Um, when we left uh, from our last segment, we were talking about the uh, really the measuring the costs and the benefits of micromanagement, really taking and calculating that. Um, and so I'm going to come back to those tips a little bit that we were talking about. Uh, Larry first gave us a, the, the number one tip for our recovering micromanagers to, you know, ask your direct reports, you know, what are you competent to do now uh, that I am micromanaging and maybe being able to let, let go of that? And then, of course, you know, calculating those, the cost benefits of doing that. So I'll turn it back over to Larry and Kim to talk more about the costs and benefits. One of the big benefits for you as a manager is it's going to free up your time. Micromanagement fills up your bandwidth uh, extremely rapidly. It takes a lot of time to do that. And so as you get farther and farther away, the benefits to your people are they're growing, but now you have time to focus on your own growth. You have time to start learning things, uh, new skills, new knowledge, et cetera, that is going to prepare you for your next move in your organization or your next move in your career, even if it isn't in your organization. So there are huge benefits to a manager who is willing 
to give up that urge to seize control, let the other people have it, let them grow. It doesn't mean you're ignoring them, but it does mean that you're not, you're not hovering so closely that you're making all the decisions about what they're going to do. And so this frees up your time so you can devote some time to learning new things yourself uh, and and it is a it is a beneficial upward spiral of growth. Kim, you have any thoughts on this? Well, and then there's the benefits to the people that you're allowing to have that growth experience themselves. So there's that growth for yourself, and there's that growth for other people. One of the things that's coming up for me is when we when we started the show today, Larry, you told a story about a food and beverage director who you know, controlled things by having the keys to the liquor uh, storage area. And and what happened as a result of that is there was a really big party um, where they could have sold a couple of very expensive high-end bottles and no one could get in to get them so they didn't get sold. And sometimes when we think about micromanaging, I think we think a lot about sort of like looking over someone's shoulder and telling them what to do and what not to do or making the decisions for them or, you know, creating what they should be creating. But sometimes micromanaging is just in having unnecessary elements of control, like I'm the only one who has the keys, And so there are lots of different ways to examine what you're doing as a manager, and some of them might not be so obvious that you've got some control mechanisms in place where you feel like you're not really looking over people's shoulders, but really you are micromanaging in some ways that you're less aware of. And so if you have the security of character, you can ask your people, where, where could I loosen up? And if you have the right kind of relationship with those people, they're not afraid of you, they'll tell you. And that's so where what, your tip is just really central. It's, it's going to the people who you manage and saying, what could you do on your own if you had enough autonomy to do it? They're going to tell you about things you didn't even think about. What you know on kind of that topic? What if uh, what if there is a bit of a lack of trust with some of those people? You know, what if you don't trust some of those people that are under you to make some of those decisions? You know, are, are there some some tips you should take? Uh, some as a new manager, perhaps one of our listeners thinking, well, okay, well, I don't always trust all the people I have under me because maybe I made a poor selection decision or something like that. What do you do then? You have to examine why you don't trust them. If you don't trust them because they lack the knowledge right. to make good decisions, then give them the knowledge. Teach them, train them, coach them, give them the knowledge. And the same thing with a skill. You can teach somebody a skill. So if it's that kind of thing, then you can do that. If the reason you don't trust them is because you're worried they just have bad judgment, uh, or something of the sort, and you worried you, you didn't make a good hire, uh, you know, don't keep them on your team. And what, let's not sugarcoat it, fire them. Um, because as a manager, it's not a good idea to surround yourself with people you don't trust. 
it, it's uh, and I it, it just baffles me. I see managers and executives all the time telling me how they don't trust their people. I mean, and it it just drives me nuts. If you don't trust your people, if it's a lack of knowledge or skill, teach them something. But if it's other reasons that are related to their character, then get different people for your team. I mean, come on. Don't leave people in that situation because that then drives people to micromanage. So while it looks like we've only got a couple minutes left in the show today, so just to kind of a, a quick recap, you know, it's okay to micromanage when the situation is temporary or when it's sort of an organizational imperative. Um, you know, not micromanaging really increases growth in both you and your people. Um, and that's one of the reasons why it's so important not to do that because it really truly increases growth and probably engagement and motivation, all those other organizational imperatives. Um, and really, um, you know, not seizing control is a really about trust and it's about relationships and it's a key to, to building a great organization and a great team. Now, I'm, I'm looking at uh, next week's episode, Larry and Kim. I see it's going to be about empowering your people. Could you guys give us a little bit of a teaser for the next podcast? Yeah, it's really related to not seizing control, but it's it's more about the bigger picture. Empowerment requires trust. And once you empower people, you give up 51% of the vote. You're actually allowing people to make decisions that you might otherwise make, but as I say, you're teaching them, you're coaching them, and at some point in time, you're gonna accept the fact that they're gonna make the decision. It, you know, once a team is on the field and the whistle blows, the coach could have done all the coaching he or she wants, but in, in those moments of truth that are now occurring at a very rapid rate, your players are gonna make their own decisions about what they're going to do. There's no way to control that when they get on the field. So resisting the temptation to seize control just leads right into our next chapter, empower your people. So, hey, that's, it's a hand in glove sort of thing, right? Well, that's going to be our show for today, folks. Thanks so much for joining in. Uh, we, we love it that everybody's giving us great feedback. So if you do have questions or feedback, please uh, click on that email host button. We'd love to hear uh, more from you. And if you haven't ordered your books yet, uh, Managing to Make a Difference is available on Amazon.com as well as BarnesandNoble.com. Um, and if you'd like to, to go to ManageToMakeADifference.com, we've got some, some really helpful tips and tricks and uh, supporting materials there. Uh, so please check it out. See if you have any questions. Uh, just let us know. So uh, until we uh, see you next time, uh, focus on how you can go out and manage to make a difference in the people that are around you every day. Have a great afternoon, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Managing to Make a Difference with Talent Plus's Larry Sternberg and Dr. Kim Turnage. We hope these real-life management examples will help you manage teams across the globe. Just a reminder, this series airs on Voice America, the business channel, each Thursday at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific. We hope you'll tune in next week for Managing to Make a Difference. Until then, put these practices into place and manage to make a difference.